0: Welcome back, everybody. Jason, you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. How you doing, Mark? I am excited. This is the 12th episode. Episode number 12. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. No, seriously. Calm down. Calm down.
1: Sorry, I I been over I've been over uh, you know, thanking all the applause, and now I can't get back up. Hang on a second. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness you know uh it's been a long time since we checked back in um we were at the beginning of advent the last episode and then now we're all the way through back into um epiphany and yeah. so we uh, did you have a good did you have a good advent slash christmas season
1: yeah everything was good uh um, no complaints on my end my kids you know were happy of course with with the christmas celebration went to midnight mass tried to make that a a yearly tradition for the past few years of always going to the midnight mass. You know, though, <clears throat> you know, Regina and you know, they do the, the high mass inside and they do the outdoor mass uh, at the same – we have a, uh, a shrine to St. Michael. And Father right. does some masses outside and, you know, they do a low mass at the same time. Um, I've wanted to, to go out to the shrine and do the, do the outdoor mass, but it's always been really cold. Well, this year yeah. – uh, you know, I'd planned to go inside because I've got young kids you know I've got a I've got a a, a, a baby boy he's what, about four months now and then I've got a one year old. so going in cold weather ain't the greatest with young kids staying outside right. for about an hour. So I wanted to do it one year. Well, this year the weather was actually gorgeous, but I had already got you know, we got there because at our parish you you better get there pretty early if you want to have a seat. Oh yeah, And so I got there probably a couple hours early, had been sitting down. Then my family came up later, you know, or half of them, at least my wife and a few of the kids uh, came up. I had the other kids and uh, and I was helping out, set everything up. And I was like, man, this would have been the perfect year to to do the outdoor mass. But, yeah, no, I I, I don't know if you've if you've gone to the I, I know St. Michael Shrine is still relatively new, um, but I'd love to go to an outdoor mass out there one day.
0: So uh, me and my wife have always been midnight mass people at Christmas. In fact, the night I proposed to her was Christmas Eve, and uh, I'd proposed to her in front of her family with you know with everybody there. And I don't know if you know anything about Cubans, but, for the Cuban people, Christmas Eve is the big night. That's Noche Buena. And um, so the whole her whole family was there and everything. And then uh, I proposed to her at about 9.30 so that you know we could kind of get the celebratory stuff out of the way. And then we all went to midnight mass um, in Miami at the Society of St. Pius X, uh, which is right there in Little Havana. And uh, that was my wife's very first traditional Latin mass. And uh, it was a beautiful evening. And uh, there was just sort of a sense of, not only were we celebrating the birth of the God-man among us, but we were celebrating this new sacramental journey my wife and I were about, my fiance and I were about to undertake. So it was a really nice evening and it was a really great deal. And then lately we try to go to midnight mass and then by like 9.30, we start, oh, man, it's looking bad. We we start. We get that zombie look in our eyes and, don't worry, baby, we can make it. We can make it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've become Christmas Day people, um, but uh, we will always cherish, especially when we lived in Chicago, uh, midnight mass at St. John Cantius, um, which is a parish I want to talk a little bit about tonight, obviously. Um, our topic for tonight is to just sort of – Recap everything that's going on in when uh, in, in the traditional Latin Mass liturgical movement, as well as uh, Jason and I will speculate wildly on the future, and uh, <laughs> we do not recommend that you place any bets on the outcome of <laughs> our predictions. But <laughs> and but, if you uh, do,
1: don't hold us accountable.
0: That's right. That's you. That's your money, dude. <laughs> um, but I, we should probably start with a prayer first. Jason, any? Um, any uh uh, requests or uh
1: no i was thinking actually about that before we got on and nothing nothing came to mind you know uh in particular that i wanted to do but i like the veni sancti spiritus unless i like that prayer
0: there's something about that prayer it just asks for wisdom and guidance and light that only the holy that only the holy ghost can give Um, and so if you're listening along we invite you to join us to invoke the divine blessing and uh, and I hope that the Holy Spirit will um, help us to produce an edifying discussion. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni, Sancti Spiritus, repletura, corda fidelium, et tui amores in eis ignim accende. Imite Spiritum Tuum et crea buntur.
1: Et renovabis facem tare.
0: Oremos. Deus quicorda fidelium sancti spiritus illustrationi docuisti, da nobis in spiritu recta sapere, et de eos semper consolationi gadere. Per Christum Dominum nostrum, Amen. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Amen. So, lots happened since we last, uh, this, a lot has happened since Traditionis Custodes came out about half a year ago, and, um, I I thought it would be interesting to talk about what has what has become the Vatican's war on its own religion, which is a strange thing. I I never thought in the world I would I would see the day when we would be discussing something like this. But, you know, like the man said, may you live in interesting times. And uh, it appears that we do uh, just to sort of catch everybody up. You know, Traditionis Custodius was issued uh, last summer, beginning of maybe maybe last spring or fall, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but about six months ago, give or take, um, which put restrictions on the usage of the extraordinary form. Among other things, it claimed that the Missal of Pope Paul VI was the unique, unique expression of the lexorandi of the Roman Rite. Um, which puts the entire Catholic church in trouble because as far as I can tell, no one is using the missile of Pope Paul VI. No one, absolutely no one. So there is, so apparently according to the Vatican, no one's saying the mass anymore. The mass has been dead for about 50 years, apparently. I guess that's the takeaway. Um, and then, more recently, the Congregation for Divine Worship—I'll abbreviate that from here on. as the CDW. Yeah,
1: Mark. If you don't mind, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me interrupt you here. Just ask you a question, just so that Hit I me. can that I can follow here. <clears throat> so, when you mentioned that nobody is following the the missile of Pope Paul VI, so you know, obviously, the missile, I guess is, has undergone changes since since. Uh, Pope Paul VI, correct? Sure, the one that we sure. have now. Have there? Do you know if there's been any significant changes? Because honestly, I don't know. I haven't looked into it. What from the missile that that is used now versus the one that uh, came out after Pope
0: Paul the I mean, I I can tell you, and I feel pretty confident that that here in the city of Houston, anyway, I can think of two places that actually celebrate the missile of Pope Saint Paul the Sixth. One of them is an Annunciation downtown. And then the other one would be Holy Rosary Church uh, in sort of uh, Little Vietnam uh, over is there. Is that in the Milan, Dominican? The Dominican Church, right. Yeah, okay. But, you know, the Missal of Paul VI is just like every, is like any other Missal that has been published in any right. It has rubrics. It has uh, a formula that if you want to follow the Missal, you have to follow the formula. And as far as I can tell, the biggest champions of this Missal, quote-unquote, deviate from it before it even starts for the most part now i'm not quite sure why they're the ones that don't deny vatican ii and we are the ones who deny vatican II. i don't quite understand the logic there because from what i can tell we're the ones who believe in pretty much everything that vatican ii said and they couldn't wait to deviate from it before the ink was even dry but anyway i i, I digress uh, to to answer your question no i don't I mean, there have been versions of of the miss of the new missile that have been put out since then. I can't think of huge variations that would constitute something different in a modern you know it like to the modern Nova versus the one that Paul the sixth put out
1: no okay not, yeah, and i I didn't mean to put you on the spot for our listeners you know <laughs> I went off on a rant there <laughs> no no, no, for for our listeners. it's not you know you know we'll do research for s- some episodes and stuff like that, but uh, you know, it's not like we got a script here. So sometimes, if I ask Mark a question or he asks me, we're kind of being put on the spot. I just, right. I just thought maybe you might have something in mind. You know, that that, that that'd be something for me to just kind of. I'm kind of curious about now. I may uh, in my free time kind of look it up.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, we we should do something one day on, um, on you know the the missile of Paul the Sixth and and how it's been abused and what it's sort of. Correct forms are, but um, more recently, the Congregation for Divine Worship, which we'll just call the CDW, um, released a set of guidelines for tradiciones custodes that were even stranger and more bizarre than the original document. Um, apparently, there was a dubia that I guess I guess the Vatican answers dubias now. They didn't <laughs> used to, um, and. Nobody can find out anybody who wrote any of this. Th- these dubia questions. So, you know, the dubia was fake. Basically, we'll just we'll go. We'll fall back on the official Vatican policy of when reality is inconvenient, just make things up, because that could never blow up in our faces, right? And then, um, you know, now we're in a full-scale liturgical war. Over an issue that was literally solved six months ago. It was solved already. We had already done this and solved this. And instead of tending to the wounds that are festering in the Catholic Church, the Vatican and in its infinite wisdom has decided it's better to just rip open old ones that had just started to heal. Um, and I thought we could talk a little bit about that because these are some strange times, Jason. I don't know how else to really describe it. Um, the, the the well, I didn't. Did you read the CDW instructions, Jason?
1: Yes, I did, and I and I have it pulled up, you know, right in front of me again, just to refresh my memory. But I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things ab- about their instructions that, to me, I don't know what was their their thought process and why this would be beneficial. You know, like during during Holy Week, you know, all you know, their, What what is it? Some of these areas are. How does it go? Let me find it here. They're, they're not allowed to celebrate the, the old The old Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, or, or, or during, is it during Christmas also, or just during Holy Week?
1: That's what I'm looking I I know it was during the tritum. Uh, where does it say? So this is kind of an arc. I need to find the one that I have. But anyway, yeah, I mean, but they have these restrictions. But, you know, the the thing that confuses me the most about the guidance that was put out was, from my understanding of Traditiones Custodes, Pope Francis was, you know, he, he made, of course, several outlandish claims in it. And <clears throat> he, was t- he was supposedly putting it back in the hands of the bishops, the local bishops, to make the decisions, right? Right. You have this come out saying, here's the guidance for it. Well, why, why do you need to issue something that seems to be in contradiction of what you said previously? Because previously you said it was up to the bishops, and now you're like, no, here's the guidelines you need to follow.
0: Oh, and the guidelines are, are, are bizarre. One of, one of the guidelines was if you have a traditional Latin Mass at your parish, you can't publish the times for it in the bulletin. That's crazy, yeah. And I laughed and I laughed. But, hey, w- Jason, let's be fair. We are obedient Catholics on this show, and we make we, we do not want to foster disobedience to the Holy Church. So that being said— Here are a list of Latin masses in the Houston area. If you happen to be in the Houston area, here are a list of Latin masses that definitely will not be taking place. Uh, on Sunday, of every Sunday at Regina Chaley Catholic Church in Houston, Texas, there will definitely not be a Latin Mass at 7 o'clock in the morning, and then another one at 8.20, and then a high Mass at 10 o'clock, another one at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then finally an evening Mass at 5.30. There will definitely not be confession 30 minutes before those Masses, as, long, uh, as well as a Rosary recited with the parish. At the Society of St. Pius X over at St. Michael the Archangel Church in Spring and in, in, on the north side of Houston, there will definitely not be traditional Latin mass every Sunday at 9am on the first Friday at 630pm on the first Saturday at 9am. Listen, I'm just trying to Hey, we are obedient Catholics here, boy, let me tell you, okay, and let me
1: and and let me tell you this. (laughs) Did, Did you see that meme that was like, since we're not allowed to publish it anymore? Not starting before nine? 9:29, uh, but starting on time at 9:30, there will be a gathering of people of Roman heritage getting together to celebrate their culture. For anybody <laughs> that, or something like that, it was something yeah. stupid like that. But I was that's, like, where I to, that's where I
0: got the idea. That's where I got the idea to 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 broadcast on our podcast for any visitors to the city of Houston, where there would definitely not be a Latin mass. Um, yeah, because we got to be obedient to the church, and you know, I just thought about that, and I I thought, what a bizarre thing for the has the Congregation for Divine Worship ever issued guidelines for what a local parish could publish in their bulletin? and i I thought more and more about it, and that's I micromanagement
1: think to at.
0: <laughs> well, I think it fundamentally displays a a the bigger problem that I think we have, which is that these modernists are stuck when i tell you they're stuck in the 1960s i don't mean that as like a joke or i'm I'm like making fun of them they really do think that this this generation of millennials who spends all day on the internet learn is learning about the latin mass from their local parish bulletin and we just got to put a stop to that it, it, it illustrates to me that these 80 year old baby boomer modernists do not understand the internet. They don't understand internet culture. They don't understand the impact that the internet has had on our society. Because that's where everybody learned about. I mean, yeah, maybe 20, 30 years ago, there were, you know, uh, the small remnant of people in the Pius X Society or, or your local diocesan Latin mass folks who were sharing analog information about when there's going to be a mass. But I got to tell you, this young group of people now who are filling up the parishes, they're an online generation. They don't care what's in the stupid bulletin. So who who cares? But it just illustrates that I think what you're witnessing here, and I could be wrong, are the last kicking grasps of an elite cabal of people who have controlled the narrative about Vatican II for 50 years and they're losing it. They're losing their grip on power, that on uncontested power they've had for 50 years. And they're freaking out. I think, and I could be wrong, that Pope Francis is sweating this situation way more than you or I need to. Um, and that's just, that's one guy's take. I don't know, you know, but I'm pretty optimistic about all this.
1: Well, you know, we I found my list here and, and and we talk about what we're constantly kind of in our head and we're asking each other and our friends and so on and so forth is why are they doing this? And you know, we'll come up with responses and I mean, I mean they're they're true to a degree uh and maybe may completely true, but you know, they 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 you know they of course they hate tradition they're they're not friends of the church they're you know the church has been infiltrated by you know certain groups of people certain people with certain thoughts um you know they they don't really care about the salvation of souls and so on and so forth right they care about being popular with the world and all those are true but if you think about it it really like to me it's still like okay that's great but it still doesn't make sense why I, I I guess it's because of the way I am. It just doesn't make sense why they have such a hatred for it, you know, and and I'm looking at here, you know, one of the changes was in the you know the the sacraments, right. you know, they 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 need a bishop's permission to celebrate the I guess the the tradition the sacraments and the traditional formulas, and you know <clears throat> I had. Uh, Well, when we're going through our conversion process, I had my two older, they were, they were baptized, you know, uh, uh, in a novice order parish with the, with the, I guess, I'm trying to think of the correct terminology, but the new right. Yeah, we know, we know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new right formula. And, but, but since then I've had my sons baptized in the the, the La- or the, the old rite the extraordinary or the traditional latin mass formula you know the the one that's been around for quite a while
0: <laughs> right the one that's and, not an authentic expression of the lex orandi of the roman rite
1: yeah and <laughs> and the thing and the thing that i really i just i just can't fathom is when you look at the baptism I'm, it's not to say that the bab, one baptism is valid and one isn't, because you know, as Catholics, if you baptize in a Trinitarian formula, we still recognize it, even That's if right. even if you're of a different uh, uh, faith group, right? However, right. the traditional uh, formula, the traditional sacraments of baptism, I, I feel is way more efficacious. They have the exorcisms. They have the the exercise salt. You know, they have all these things that that the new one does, and it's like, why would you get rid of these things? Like, why wouldn't we renounce Satan and do exorcism prayers and and use exercise salt, which is a powerful sacramental? Why why wouldn't we do these things? And it just it just baffles me why you would want to restrict that if your goal really is, let me let me give. You know, Catholics from young to old, the best possible—what um, uh, am I looking for? The best possible chance to to live a holy life. These things are all extremely helpful in your walk with God.
0: Well, I think yeah, and I I I think there is something to be said, and I think you know a lot of the modernists would accuse us of accuse us of over romanticization and over indulgence in in you know sentimentality and things like that. Okay, fair enough. But let me ask you a question. I mean, I could sit here and write a sentence like, um, "I made a mistake in ending our relationship, and I would really like to go back on that." Right? I could write that out on a on a chalkboard. How? Who do you think is going to sell more copies? Me writing that sentence on a chalkboard or Adele, with the songs that she writes? Right.
1: Well, I if mean, you're if you're asking me, it's definitely Well, this you. is my point. I don't really listen to <laughs> Adele either, but my point is that she
0: seems to be selling more records yeah. in the way that she communicates that message versus what I just said. Now, there there is a thing about human beings. We don't just communicate information. My goodness, we're not robots. We write poetry and we we make we make uh, epic films and we make we write literature and th- there it's a way in which we understand the world is to is to look at what what is beautiful in the world and to um to highlight that and accentuate that and sometimes it goes in the wrong direction because we have fallen human nature so you know uh, sometimes we we take things that are inherently beautiful and make them ugly by because we have a fallen human nature um but you, you cannot just simply strip all information down to its bare bit components and call it the same thing. Um, I, you know, I guess she could try to do that, but history has not shown that as a species, we're very receptive to that. Um, so I, I think there's something, well, you know, and here's and here's the bigger point that I, I get to about all this. I understand that not everybody's into the Latin Mass or the Latin or the the traditional Latin sacraments. It's a big church, okay, and there's all kinds of people in the church. But I always thought we were a family, right? So, and when when you have brothers and sisters and a mom and a dad, you fight sometimes, and sometimes you don't like each other very much, and sometimes you you love each other but you hate each other, and, and these things happen. You don't just kick your family members out of the family because there's something about the way they think you don't like. That's just not the way family members treat one another. I'll give you a perfect example. John Paul II was pope for, what, 35 years almost, maybe even more than that? And he, is a, he was a pretty conservative, at least politically, a pretty conservative guy, and the Jesuits made a lot of trouble for him during his pontificate because I don't want to say every Jesuit, but 90% of them have been downright Marxist-Leninist since the 1960s. But we don't suppress the society of Jesus, right? As emotionally satisfying as that may be to some people, okay, <laughs> you don't treat family like that. And what's hurt the most about this, I mean, I got to tell you, Jason, I don't understand why anybody would re- become a redemptorist. What what's what happens in five years if the Pope wakes up and goes, mm, I, don't, I don't really like redemptorists anymore. Now you're just out of the church? That that's it. No discussion, no nothing. You're you're done. What about if he I can't promise that a new Pope isn't gonna that isn't gonna be Pope in five years and he's just gonna not like the Jesuits. What then, Father James Martin? What you gonna do then? You gonna be obedient because like you're calling everybody to be obedient right now? Really? I doubt it. This is just a bad way to treat your family members, and I thought we were better than this. And I, 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 I'm really discouraged. Not only at the Vatican's attitude, but our fellow our fellow Catholics are just absolutely delighted that we're suffering and that we're hurt and that we're in pain. It's just really kind of sick, and I you just have to kind of wonder, man, did your parent your parents didn't raise you right? What was something they missed? Doing something correctly. I don't know what it was, but. Well, here, here's the thing, too. These are the same people
1: <clears throat> that are constantly preaching to us unity and diversity.
0: Oh, and compassion. And and, and, and all that's All the buzzwords. And that's
1: what I was about to say. Talk about compassion. You talk about family members hurting and some Catholics taking joy, you know, or, or in the herd of, uh, of a fellow Catholic or some saying, well, look, they lashed out you know the the, the traditionalist custodis pope is was right to do this and i'm not saying that when everybody lashes out they've lashed out in a correct way but have some compassion you know because because that that's what we're constantly preaching have compassion for people which is not a bad thing which we should understand why are they upset and actually talk to them instead of projecting on them what you think they're you know the way they feel
0: well, yeah. And the and the whole look how they've lashed out. Well, you locked them out of their church for a year and a half. And then when things were finally starting to ease up, lied about it, made things up about them and slandered them in public. Yeah, people tend to lash out when you do that to them. You know, I mean, that's. That's a normal, healthy reaction, and blaming people for "quote unquote" lashing out when you attack them—that's what, so, what sociopaths and psychopaths do. It's called gaslighting, and you have to wonder about people who do things like that. There's something, there's something pretty sick about all that. Um, well, I,
1: sorry, go no, ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no I was no. just.
0: All I was going to say is to the Father James Martins of the world who are just loving this, yuck it up, fuzzball, because there's <laughs> going to be a new—because I'm telling you, a new pope is coming eventually. And now that you have put all the, the, the infrastructure in place so that the power of the papacy can be weaponized at any time against anybody who the pope doesn't like, you better pray. That the next pope you get, who you don't know who that will be and whose election you are not invited to participate in, good father, you better hope he's a friend of yours and not a friend of ours. This is a really bad thing that has happened now because now I don't know why anybody would do anything in the church. I don't know why you'd give money to the church because you you may or may not just be throwing money down the drain. It'll all depend on an indeterminate amount of time in the future in which somebody whose election you're not allowed to participate in wakes up on the one side of the bed and decides he likes people like you. I don't know why anybody would join any seminary anywhere. Forget traditional Latin mass stuff. I don't know why you'd commit your life. You give up a lot to be a priest in the Roman Rite. You give up a lot. And what's going to happen if in 15 years after you've been ordained... Pope wakes up and goes, "Mm, no, I don't like you. You're not in the church anymore. And that's just it. You're gone. You're done. You want to live in that church? I don't. How long do you guys, do you, I mean, you bishops and you cardinals, how long do you guys really think people are just going to subjugate themselves to what is clearly just a political organization whose politics they're not allowed to participate in? How long do you guys really think you can keep that up? In the modern world, I'm sorry. I I just I think you guys are deluding yourselves. But well, I I want
1: to talk about this and you know what you're what you're talking about here more in a second. You know, in the sense of you know if you're in the in the Anglican right, you're in the, the any of the Eastern right stuff. You have to be looking at this going. Okay, this this cannot be good for me in the future. Absolutely. If we get a pope, but before we get into that, I, I did want to backtrack for just a minute. You know, you when we're talking about baptism and sacraments, you know, you mentioned sometimes we're accused of maybe romanticizing things and stuff like that. Which, okay, granted, maybe sometimes that's true, like you said. But even more than that, and I know it's it's hard for these modernists to fathom. We actually believe these things. We like when we talked about the exorcisms and stuff like that. I actually believe that the devil was real. I actually believe, as Saint Paul says, he goes around like. Or, or no, Saint Paul didn't say that. Who said that? Was it Jesus? No, and, uh, uh,
0: Peter. Saint Peter. Peter. And one and 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 yeah, one Peter five.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, Saint Peter says he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I I believe that. I, I believe I believe demonic activity is real in the world. So. Wh- it's not that I'm romanticizing the past because I want the exorcism prayers and stuff like that in the batches it's because I believe this I don't just go through the motions and say oh I'm doing this because this is what I'm supposed to do if that's the case I'm not going to be Catholic if no, I'm I, just, I we shouldn't be we yeah, shouldn't,
0: you should you, you shouldn't you shouldn't subscribe to anything you don't believe in I mean what would be the point of that I you know I so, I, I so have too much. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, no, I'm just saying it, it, it goes well beyond romanticizing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in some aspects of, of tradition, there there's some things you like to romanticize about. You like to, but but not when it comes to these type of things. For for anybody to say you you just want these things because you romanticize the past has no clue what they're talking about. Has no I, clue because I, myself and everybody else I have come across that that has had their children baptized believes these things and that's why they seek out the traditional form
0: so um so a couple uh uh, about two weeks ago i uh i treated my wife to um you know flowers and we had a nice dinner um we um we did all the things a married couple should do and what was great about it jace was it was it was just my way of letting her know I appreciate all the things that she's done around here. in the last couple of months has been, been a lot of work, particularly we, we both work together, um, you know, job wise, I guess. And um, I guess I could have just written her a note on a, on an index card that said, I appreciate your work signed Mark. I guess I could have done that, but yeah, I probably over romanticized it because I'm in love with my wife. Well, I'm in love with the Catholic Church. I love the Catholic Church. It is it, it it is the mystical body of Christ. It is to in my opinion the greatest gift God ever gave to humanity. So yeah, I'm I'm overly romantic about it. Fight me. I don't care. And I'll I'll and 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 what they have done, I mean, I'd it used to be back in the old days I didn't say things like this about my co-religionists, but we're in the middle of a war, again, for, for that, that I didn't cause. So one has to wonder, you look at what they want to do to the church, do they love the church? Or do they love Themselves. other things? <laughs> yeah, Themselves, well, the world, the, their, the power, the whatever.
1: Well, I think that's a great example of what you just said with your wife. I mean, if you had written your wife a note and said that, she'd appreciate it. She'd be like, oh, thank you. But how much better... Was was what you did than than one. One was, you know, one lifted up a, another person. In this case, your wife lifted him up more. You know, just it just just made them the message happy. better. Yeah, you yeah you communicated it much better. Same th- same thing with some of these traditional sacraments. They just oh, communicate the message better. And and while while like like I said, I'm gonna use baptism again. While both forms are valid, I'm sorry. One one is just more efficacious, I believe, and one is just better and, and sends a clearer message than the other.
0: And and here's the other thing, though. And I know I know I'm kind of kind of may, I may be in the minority on this, and, and you might even disagree with me on this, which um, disagreement with me will not be allowed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I I'd, I'd actually uh, like your like your take on this is. I know there are. I think probably the majority of Catholics out there who their attachment is to the ordinary form. Um, I, I don't see anything particularly wrong with that. Um, I, I, I think it is exactly as Benedict XVI described. It's two forms of the same right. And I am somebody who, you know, maybe this makes me a bad person, but I get more out of the extraordinary form of all the seven sacraments, than I, than I get out of the ordinary form. And I was talking with a friend of mine I went to law school with. I won't mention his name, but he's a pretty liberal guy politically. He's not what you would call a conservative, um, and uh, he is a Catholic. And we were talking about this, and he goes, "Mark, what is the issue here? I thought we, I thought we put this to bed like a decade ago, didn't we put this to bed already?" And I said, yeah, exactly. And he said, you know, I don't understand why we're spending all our energy on this because according to what he was telling me, he's attended both, and he likes both. He just attends the ordinary form more often. And he said, I wonder why we're not dealing with the sex abuse issue that rocked the church for the last 60 years that seems to have largely been undealt with, and not something we talk about. But will rip open this old wound that had just started to heal. Well, I don't, I don't understand. And um, on a and minority
1: I said, group of people,
0: and I said, "Well," he said, "Yeah, it's a minority thing," and he enjoys both. Uh, he just goes to the ordinary form more, but he says, I, "I certainly do not see what is dangerous or seditious or." whatever about the Latin mass, I just don't see it. And he said, uh, one gets the impression that they're trying to distract us from something. And my take on it was that uh, there's a lot of theories about why the sex abuse scandal happened. It's uh, it's homosexuals in the priesthood, it's uh, lack of priestly formation, it's all these other things. But in my mind, the principal source of the problem is that the Vatican lies as a matter of policy. And when the truth is inconvenient, we'll just make things up. And when you get asked about making things up, just keep lying and lying and lying until you can't lie anymore. And then we'll hire a PR firm and we'll issue some statement about how deeply saddened we are about what happened or whatever. And... I think I said this in a previous podcast. Uh, if you're a bishop or a cardinal and you don't, you don't even believe in God anymore, but the only thing you care about is your own power and everything and your own vanity, I want you to remember what it was like to put on a collar the day after that story broke in the Boston Globe and walk out in public. If you enjoyed that, keep doing what you're doing because I'm guaranteeing you we're going to do that again. It, it is clear to me that they learned nothing from from the sex abuse scandals because they're still lying. And, you know, <laughs> look at what happened at Chernobyl with lying. It literally blew up in their face. And it's not going to be... Did you ever see that HBO show, Chernobyl, Jace? No,
1: I didn't. I okay, mean, I, well, I, I, I know what happened at Chernobyl, but yeah, I haven't seen the movie.
0: Far be it from me to say that HBO ever made anything edifying. But um, <laughs> this was an excellent show. And it essentially is about the cost of telling lies. And there's a great quote in the show that says, every lie incurs a debt to the truth. Essentially, the, this this power plant, this nuclear power plant, was in substandard condition, running with substandard safety protocols and a bunch of people who threw the, what little protocols there were out the window because they had convinced themselves that a nuclear catastrophe was not possible in the workers' paradise of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Now we can go down that road if we want to. Again, is not there still
1: radiation at that place? Oh yeah, no, it's still yeah, an incredibly toxic place. You
0: can't that's go I there. I mean, yeah. you can go there now, but you can't stay for very long. Um, well, I would argue that the 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 sex abuse scandal is our Chernobyl. And we 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 lied and lied and lied for 60 years until we couldn't until we got caught so badly we couldn't lie anymore. And then we told the biggest lie that there was, that we were deeply saddened by what happened and we vowed to let it never happen again. Well, what's clear to me is by this CDW document that we read and this this quote-unquote dubia that happened, the Vatican cannot kick its loose affiliation with telling the truth. And that is going to cost them again, just like it did before. And I just wonder, when will these so called intelligent men who are so much smarter than the rest of us, when will they come to the conclusion that the village idiot arrives at? I just don't understand.
1: Well, you know, and and this whole tradition Tradition is custodes, the survey that went with it, there's been accusations of dishonesty in the actual results of the, the the results in the survey. You know, and 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 I don't want to be one to accuse you know our, our you know our our bishops and and pope francis and them of being dishonest because I because I don't want to be guilty of that sin but however in the back of your mind when these accusations come out because of what you're talking about you know about this history of lying from the upper echelon of the vatican you I mean we have a documented history of it i'm sorry it, it, it's in my mind and you know like uh uh, the reporter Diane Montagna, I know she, she came out yesterday with an article and posted on, on Twitter that, you know, about Archbishop Roach, you know, he apparently didn't read the results of the survey, which were for, you know, the 2020 survey, which the majority of bishops actually came out in favor of keeping, keeping the traditional Latin mass, you know, uh, and with, with a careful and prudent application of, um, uh, Pope Benedict XVI's documents, Summorum Pontificum, right? right? They they right. were they were in favor of that, but but now he's coming out saying, oh, most bishops see the importance of Traditiones custodes. Well, that's a contradiction to apparently what the survey said. And Traditiones custodes isn't contradiction with that. And it's just like I don't I don't want to be guilty of the sin of accusing people of lying and being dishonest when they're not, but this is another time. It's like, dude, you're you're putting me in a bad position here because I oh, can't, yeah. I can't just, I can't just sit here and be gullible and believe everything you say because that's not prudent. That, that you know, it's it, I wouldn't be practicing prudence and temperance and stuff like that if I just took everything that you gave me and you know like a glutton and said, okay, this is the way it is. But it, but at the same time, I don't want to go the other end and say oh, everything you say is a lie. But 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 it's but it's like what do I do because you have a you have a history of it.
0: I I, I let me tell you something. I hate thinking this these things. I you know and I, I've I've been in circles where I have not made a lot of friends because they're all real anti Pope Francis, and I've always been the guy of you know, look there's two possible ways to read what he said. Let's let's just choose to believe he meant the right way of saying this, and you know maybe he's a bad orator. Maybe he's just not great at communicating himself through the media. I mean, I can't promise that I'm good at communicating myself through the media. I have a podcast sometimes. I listen to it, and I don't even know what the heck it is I'm saying. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so so I, I've always chosen to be that guy. I don't want to think bad things about the Pope or the bishops or the cardinals. But they just, there is a sense, and I am sorry to say it, this is a sense of something that happened uh, around the time, maybe just before the council, there was an attitude of lay people are not particularly important. We're what counts out here. And uh, it's our church, not Jesus's church. And, we'll, and we're in charge and you're not. And you'll just sit there and be told how things are going to be or else. And it's weird because we have become the the caricature of everything every protestant and orthodox has have ever said about us we've now become a bunch of pope worshipers and it's the strangest thing because these people who were all we need to you know take guidance from the protestants and 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 look to the eastern church for all these things they are becoming everything the protestants and the orthodox hate about us and turning us into that i mean It's just, it's so bizarre. It's a very bizarre time to be alive. Um, But I do see hope in all of this. I see, this is, these are not, they're dark times, but I think the reason this is happening is because they can no longer control the narrative about the Second Vatican Council. There's too much information out there. The, The internet is a place that the traditionalists get and the modernists don't. Let me ask you a question. What's the app that you can get on where you can find a Nova Sordo mass or watch one anywhere in the world 24 hours a day? There ain't one. There ain't one. The FSSP has one. So does the SSPX. They got an app for your smartphone. This is my point. They're losing and they know it and they're freaking out. And they don't understand the internet. They don't understand this new generation of young people who have fallen in love with the traditional Latin mass. And, you know, and so they're gonna, they're gonna make sure that you better not print that in the bulletin. Ooh. Okay. We, we, we we'll be sure and do that. Uh, meanwhile, I'm clicking onto YouTube right now and I'm accessing about four different Latin masses around the world. So, um, but okay, I, I won't print it in the bulletin. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me well, a break.
1: Yeah, I I I mean as we're talking here so many things are running through my head right now. You know, like like I said, what what are the other rights? How are they feeling? You know, then you got uh uh Cardinal Supage, You have that that church up in um Chicago under his St. John catches It's just a freaking circus. And then, I
0: I used to love and back when we lived in Chicago, I went to uh, college up there, and we used to love going to midnight mass on Christmas at St. John Cantius and the extraordinary form. Bishop, um, oh gosh, I can't remember that. I think Joseph Perry, uh, His Excellency Joseph Perry, would say the the is of Pontifical High Mass, and I'm so sad that that's gone now because um, of uh, of Blaze Supich who. <sighs> Well, they say they say you know how they say if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So, how are the Mets doing?
1: How, here's yeah. Here, here's the scary thing to me that I've heard recently, and I won't I won't say any names, but it's somebody that would that would have information on this. That apparently, I guess I would have never guessed. I'm not that into the inside workings of the U.S. bishops and stuff, but Cardinal Supic apparently is the top dog ultimately. And has final say in who becomes, you know, bishops and stuff like that, or has a lot of authority. And I'm sitting here thinking, when I'm hearing this, I'm sitting here hearing, uh, thinking, you know, oh, that's pretty scary because this, you know, because this all came out when he's putting even extra restrictions on, on the Ma- on the Latin Mass in his uh, archdiocese.
0: I think I think he's going to be president of the USCCB um, at some point. Um, I I can tell you he is all now he has always been hostile, um and and just a just a real prick about it. I hate to say things like that about a prince of the church, but let's you know, like I said, I there are some things he's done back when he was the uh, Archbishop of uh, Cedar Rapids or Rapid City, South Dakota. He um the way that he let his parishioners know that he didn't want them going to traditional Latin Mass during Easter was. He had the church locked. He didn't tell anybody. Hmm. They all showed up for Easter Sunday Mass, and the, and the door was locked. And that's how he let them know, I don't like you very much.
1: FYI, there is not a fraternity parish in um, Rapid City, South Dakota. No. Just, I mean, if anybody wants to go, just go check it out. But I heard uh, that there is not one there.
0: Now, uh, in, in terms of Chicago, I know the Institute of Christ the King has a has a. a, a By the way, I'm being facetious,
1: oh. sir. <laughs> no, no, no. There, I, oh, it, oh, you're
0: saying that there is definitely not a Latin Mass in Cedar Rapids. There is right?
1: definitely not. Yeah. It, it, that was one of those jokes that worked out better in my head than actually when it was coming out. <laughs> That's why I said I better correct that. There, there actually is a fraternity in Rapid City, South Dakota.
0: That will definitely not be saying the traditional Latin Mass. I don't know if they have bulletins, think. but... <laughs> um, the, yeah, the, the, the Institute of Christ the King has a parish in Chicago um, that they were rebuilding an old parish on the south side. Um, and then, shortly after uh, Cardinal Supich became the Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago, there was a fire there that burned everything down. Uh, now, I'm not saying that they were connected. I want everybody to be clear here. I am not saying that Blaze Supich, whose first name is Blaze, burn the church down but um this
1: isn't an emperor nero type situation is what you're saying
0: um anyway uh so they but you know what they did after the fire they they got up the next morning they looked at the fire they did about 15 minutes of weeping and then they got to work rebuilding that church god bless them um The canons regular of St. John Cantius, they have undergone some crap since this guy became in charge over there. First of all, the the priest who founded the canons regular, uh, Father Frank Phillips, he found St. John Cantius Parish was so run down, there were only 12 families left in the parish. They were getting ready to close it. Uh, They had to remove tons and tons of bird poop from the from the upper bell towers and the, and the, and the rafters of the ceiling. I mean, the, the place was a disaster. He turned that place around now into the biggest, most thriving parish in Chicago, and he did it all by restoring sacred tradition. They do say the Ordinary Form there as well, but they say it, that that's another place that does the Mass of Paul VI accurately, that, that you can actually call that the Missal of Paul VI. They do it there at St. John Cantius. Um, and then one day after uh, Blaze Supic, who definitely did not light the church on fire uh, down south, he became the cardinal. And then all of a sudden, Frank Phillips is involved in a sex scandal, and he has to be removed immediately. But not just any sex scandal; it was involving an adult, and it was not involving anything criminal. So there'll be no public records about any of this. That they're under no obligation to share anything. With you about what they find. Anyway, he was cleared of, of any of this stuff under an investigation, but the Cardinal will still not return him to his faculties um, as, as head of the Canada's regular St. John Cantius, and he's effectively retired now. Um, this is the kind of people we're dealing with, man. I, I honestly, if you're a parent of children and you attend Catholic Church, keep your kids close. That's all I'm saying. Because we're dealing with people who are, uh, you know, <laughs> I'd rather deal with the mafia. Because at least the mafia has rules. <laughs> These people have no rules. They'll murder. They'll rape. They'll they'll do, they have, they have no conscience and no moral center. And if you will not give them a reason to persecute you, well, we'll just make one up and call it real. What are you going to do about it? It's uh. It's a pretty sad time, but here's here's the good news. Um, everybody sees through it. Everybody sees through it. And I get the feeling that the College of Cardinals, by and large, are not pleased with this. Even people who are not big fans of the Latin mass movement, per se, don't like the ripping open of old wounds and the, the, the they don't like the stir that this has caused. Cardinals usually as a the college as a body typically likes a slow steady hand on the wheel and uh, Francis reforms the the Curia about 12 times a day in his head that he is changing the Catholic Church so fast no one can keep up with it anymore and I get the feeling that at the next conclave you will see a very different type of man elected into that office I could be wrong but that's just my my take
1: yeah I don't know I don't know it's such a it's such a tough thing to even determine because it's it's hard to say it the way things are looking now. It's hard to say, how are we going to reverse course? And the only the only solution I can come with is as cliche as it sounds, is that if we're going to reverse course, you know, it will be because God, <laughs> you know, intervened. Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, yeah, Christ is going to, you know, he's—and and, there have been times in the church, when we look back throughout its history, where the decadence— and the abuses and the pilfery and the you know the, the, the sodomy and all the things that have just infested the church. and then something cataclysmic happens and the Catholic Church does a 180 and gets its act together. Um, I look at the Council of Trent as a, a perfect example of you know the, the Protestant Reformation didn't happen out of nowhere. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because for hundreds of years, uh, probably since the Dark Ages, uh, the the Catholic clergy had been a free for all, and you'd seen you'd seen the Borgia and the Medici popes, who uh, they were so scandalous that uh, I mean you, I can't even speak about the things that they did on this podcast because there might be kids listening. And then this cataclysmic event happens, and out of nowhere. The Catholic the the, the curia and the and the council fathers just get their you know what together and produce probably one of the greatest ecumenical councils in the history of the church.
1: And they double down on what is what is Catholic, you know, okay, this is we're not trying to appease people. This is this is the way it is.
0: So it could happen again. And 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 here's the thing you need to wrap your and I think I, I had to wrap my head around. It might not happen in our lifetime. Yeah. remember there, there's like a 300 year uh gap between the beginning of what we call the dark ages and the the Council of Trent you know so we may be headed for a, a, a couple of hundred year thing I, I don't I don't believe so and i do and I do get the feeling that um because here's I think what you got to remember about the cardinals i i and i had to sort of recheck myself on this we all get the sense there's about 215 men in the college right now and we all get the sense that they're all buddies they all know each other they're all pals cuz they're all cardinals in reality most cardinals meet each other for the very first time at conclave okay and they start and and what they what they do to get to know each other is they hold an initial ballot and the first the top two or three guys who come out on that ballot they start Googling. I'm not kidding you. This is this is literally how this works. <laughs> they start Googling and researching the guys who come. Because you can't research 215 guys to find out who's gonna be who's gonna be the guy you're gonna want as Pope. They kind of look at who the most popular candidates are and they start researching them. I think the last what happened at the last conclave was no one expected Benedict XVI to resign. They scrambled to get a conclave together at the last minute. And then their thinking was, well, last time we elected a, a maverick outsider who uh, wasn't part of the Curia and he wasn't Italian, that ended up being John Paul II. It worked out great. Let's let's just do that again. I mean, why not? Problem is, is men like John Paul II come along once in a very great while. And um, we got a little bit spoiled, I believe. I think John Paul II was a great pope. Uh, he was definitely one of my, he's probably my favorite of the post-conciliar uh, we just Popes. lost
1: all our traditional viewers. Hey, I don't care. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> hey. I'm not
0: here to make friends. I'm here to. I, I I just tell the truth. I think. I and don't and don't forget all the concessions that we got that led up to Samorum Pontificum. Samorum Pontificum was an effort begun by John Paul II. Yeah,
1: yeah, and,
0: yeah, uh, yeah.
1: You, you know, I, I read an interesting book, Saint Gallen Mafia, or Saint Gallen's uh, Mafia.
0: Yes, yes, great uh, book.
1: Oh, you've checked. You've read it. I have read it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. It kind of gives you kind of an idea too about how conclaves work. You know, not not in great detail, but just for me, it gave me a better idea. And and, and I believe it was in that book, but I know I read it somewhere. But I believe it was in in her book. I think her name is Julie something. But anyway, she she writes that when Pope Benedict the Sixteenth decided to retire, he thought there was another guy that was going to be elected you know another conservative Cardinal and of course it wasn't that way because if you read her book there was a lot of things in the process for years to try to get somebody um, like like Pope Francis whether that's true or not don't know but uh,
0: I know who you're talking about and I was I was uh, the guy who it was the 2000 in the 2005 papal Conclave he came in um, kind of a close second to um, to uh, to Joseph Ratzinger, and he came in, at, uh, in the in the first couple of ballots. or I think maybe the first ballot he came in in first place in the, uh, what was it the 2012 papal conclave or the 2000 what was it 2012 or 2007 I don't remember when it was. The uh, last one we uh, had, right? And I cannot <laughs> I cannot remember for the life of me what his name is, but um. Oh goodness, yeah, and I had it here somewhere, but um,
1: but yeah, her, her 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 contention was that even Pope Benedict XVI was surprised with the election of uh, wh- wh- who ended up being Pope Francis. You know that that he was expecting another guy, which was one of the reasons he decided to to you know retire, abrogate his his position.
0: Well, now that they were trying pretty hard oh. to push Francis yeah. on us in the in the two thousand five, because. Um, on day two of the conclave, Ratzinger came ahead by sixty-five votes, and Bergoglio was second in thirty-five. Well, that's
1: that's what surprised me when when she wrote that in the book. I, I was sitting here. Well, didn't uh, Jorge come real close in in the two thousand five? But why would Benedict think that he wasn't going to be a strong contender before? You know, again,
0: because the Saint Gallen Mafia is old. I'm, this is what I'm trying to tell everybody. These guys. Are past their prime. This was their big moment, okay. Back in the, the last papal conclave, this was their big moment, okay. And but uh, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure the the head of the Gallin Mafia, Cardinal Martini, I think he's dead, isn't he?
1: Yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah. So he he didn't even make it. Now he's sort of, he's the architect of all this, Cardinal Martini, and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. he he didn't even make it. He didn't sound uh, from what I know about him
1: I I don't have too much respect for him.
0: He would not you would not have been a fan.
1: Well, here's you put it a, to you that way. <laughs> Here's the here's the thing. All this preaching that we get from people like uh, Mike Lewis at wherepeteris.com and, and and you know constantly hearing about how, you know, basically this this idea that the pope is always right, you follow him no matter what. And then we're hearing it from bishops. We're hearing it in traditionalist custodas, basically. Right? Because right. one of the guidelines is, you know, that a a priest cannot continue to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass if he does not recognize the validity and legitimacy of con celebration, especially at the chrism mass. You know, so I, I, I kind of lost where I was going with that. But, you know, they, yeah, uh, shoot and I'll see if I remember what I was going to say in a second about it because it was about Cardinal it
0: Yeah, you were talking about how they're, they're, they're criticizing us for like oh, you're yeah, not allowed to question anything about that
1: That's right. right. And right. apparently they were upfront and proud to constantly try to undermine – benedict the entire time and i asked i actually asked uh i don't know if you're familiar with him on twitter because i I try to keep our twitter kind of active for us but 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 i I, appreciate that but 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 i talked to mike lewis over at where peter is he never answered my question i said did you did you have this same energy when it came to criticizing bishops because you know he was complaining about bishops that are what he would call undermine, or were constantly fighting against, you know, Francis, the more conservative bishops. I go, did you have the same energy with when they were doing that to Benedict the Sixteenth? never i I don't remember if i ever got a response or not but i'm like oh well
0: that's like and that's the thing this thing is so this stuff is so transparent like where all of a sudden james martin is like we gotta be obedient we better be obedient you can't be disobedient and it's just like can you just cut the crap for five seconds please you know you don't give a damn about obedient this is the this is the post-conciliar catholic church no one's being obedient here are you kidding me can we just drop that pretense already hey. and just admit that you're only obedient now because your guy's in charge?
1: Let me come on. Talking about old Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give you an example of what he did. Again, I know you're not active on Twitter, but what he did the other day, like literally within a couple of days or so of each other uh, uh, of uh, of each post, he was like in stark contradiction uh, to himself. So previously. Um, Bishop Strickland up in Tyler, Texas, right? Longview area.
0: Wonderful man.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Respect the man a lot. He, I guess he had supported a priest that was speaking out his, uh, against his bishop who was trying to restrict, you know, the Latin mass stuff like that. And, and I'm trying to find it here so I could read it correctly, but basically he makes a post about it saying, um, you know how dare another bishop question a, another bishop in another area, and I'm and and then a couple days later, he pretty much does the same thing, questions a bishop that's not even in his diocese. I'm gonna see if I can find it. Find <laughs> it. Um, let's see where where is it? Dang, he posts a lot. <laughs> oh well, he's well,
0: probably a pretty sick guy, but
1: I, this might have been it. Let, let me double check here. Let's see. By uh, the way, any of the
0: individuals we talk about on this podcast, we'd love if you if you think we're out of pocket, we'd love to have you on. If you if if if, if you want to come up here and clear your name, we'll we'll book a special episode for you. We'll have James Martin on the pod. I'd love to have him on the pod.
1: So so yeah, it was uh so Bishop Strickland speaks out um, in support of I guess uh, his name is Father Bus because he challenged Cardinal Supich cancellation of the ad oriented worship. And, right. and and he comes out support and says, you know, you know, this is this is good. You know, I support this priest. And then and then James Martin comes out again and says the bishop repeats his praise for a priest and another diocese for challenging his own bishop. OK, two days later, three days later, something like that. He posts because the the archdiocese, I guess, of the military yeah. came out. And I don't know if you heard. But forbids the use of preferred pronouns in speech or in writing in parishes, organizations, or institutions, and they have a dress code that must be in accord with their biological sex. And I know I've mentioned it before. Trent Horn talks about, and he doesn't quite say it like this, but I'll say, say it you know about the slimy, sneaky way that that uh, Father Martin, Jimmy Martin does stuff so that he can't, you know, he can't ever come. So he didn't come out and say, well, this is wrong. But he posted it with the, you know how he is, you know how he thinks, and other right. but he posted it in opposition to it. And people work with They said, I thought you weren't supposed to question what happened to other archdioceses. And I'm sitting here, within a couple days of himself, he contradicts himself, but he doesn't such a snake sleazy way that he you can't come back and say well you uh I, I i never said said anything yeah he just reposted it to make a point that hey i don't know because then every all the comments of course are mainly his right. followers and they're all like oh we agree with you you father this is terrible this and that. but see james martin never said that right he he never explicitly said it, but implicitly everybody knows what he's doing, but i don't know man it's such a sleazy well, thing to do The
0: thing is is like and i and I've said this to people is, is it's don't bother don't bother arguing with modernists don't 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 cast pearls before the swine uh they're they're liars, and they're going to lie anyway, and you know i've always had this idea that i don't try to convince people that they're liars, they already know that they're the ones telling the lie. You know, it's, it's like when somebody calls you a, a, a racist or a white supremacist and people can't wait to, I'm not a white supremacist. I'm not. You can't say that about me. That's not true. They start providing a litany of black friends they have or whatever, some, like that. that's supposed to prove anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, why do you care? Do you think you're a white supremacist? Well, no. Do you think God thinks you're a white supremacist? Well, No. Do you think that the guy who called you a white supremacist really thinks that about you? No. Then who are you trying to convince exactly? Let it go. It, you know, everybody was, I, I often used to wonder, why. how come Christ didn't say anything at his trial? He stands there mostly silent. And now I get it. He already, who's he trying to convince? He's trying to convince the the. The, the, the chief rabbis and the priests that they're lying, they already know that. <laughs> That's yeah. the definition of a lie, to willingly tell an untruth. So, what would you like him to say exactly? They've already, the decision's been made. They've already decided what's going to happen. And, they, you know, and uh, Christ has given no reason to beg for his life. Well, people, and I, people, I just admire that. People
1: constantly project on other people, right? And sure. One of the best lessons I remember, and I may have said on this podcast before, but one of the best lessons I ever got when I was a kid was from my grandma. And, and I think about it all the time because when I find somebody that's constantly accusing everybody of lying or constantly, you know, oh, well, this the, this person's always cheating on his wife and they're accusing other people or, in this case, oh, or, or, or what you were talking about, oh, uh, all these people are white supremacists. My grandma told me one time she goes, Jason... Everybody that lies thinks everybody else is a liar. Everybody that's a thief thinks everybody else is a thief. And, mm-hmm. you know, so when you see these people constantly accusing you of things, what they're doing is they're projecting themselves on you because a liar thinks everybody else is like them, that they lie about everything.
0: Oh, I'm telling you. I, I, and I firmly believe, have you ever met these male feminists? I'm a male feminist, and it's like, okay, who did you rape? That's all I can think. I'm like, what did you do? I've Cause, never, cause now, I've never. Because now that. this stuff has come out, and you're scared <laughs> to death. What are, what did you do? You know, that's all I can think. I don't know.
1: I've never thought that. I've just thought, what a wuss.
0: See, I used to think what a wuss, but the, man, these guys are really like they get in your face about it, and they can't wear it. Wait to wear the the, the pink knit hat and the buttons for him. But here's the thing.
1: Here's the thing. They get in your face because they are nine times out of ten, they're banking on the fact that you ain't going to do nothing back. And a prudent man is not going to do anything back because this guy ain't worth me going to jail over. But then they come out looking, thinking they look big and bad. And it's like, dude, if they didn't have to worry about, people didn't have to worry about jail and, and, and all these other things, I guarantee you there wouldn't be as much of this going
0: around. Well, that's true for sure, but what all I'm all I'm saying I've noticed is like 2 weeks after getting in everybody's face, like the story comes out and like the the accusers come forward and you know, it's like the the the, the biggest quote unquote male feminists in Hollywood, most of them ain't working anymore. I don't know, yes. man. I no, just call no, them like I see them. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no, no, you you make a good point there. I just as I was talking here, I just realized that now I can I don't have to worry about going to jail because I got a friend that's a lawyer. They can bail me out of any situation.
0: <laughs> Listen, here's what I tell people. You know, it's funny you mention that because I had one client one time and he was really upset with me, and um, and he was just cursing me up and down and everything and calling me all kinds of horrible names. Um, and I remember the guy that was, was trying saying, to help him. <laughs> yeah, well, what was funny is my my wife was saying, you know, you can you can get taken off that case. You don't have to tolerate that kind of abuse. And I said, uh, baby, for uh, $150 an hour, we can talk about anything he wants to talk about. <laughs> now, if I were him, I would use that time to talk about my legal problems. But, you know... I, for 150 bucks an hour, you can call me any name in the book. It's your money. It's rapidly becoming my money, and ain't nobody trying to take me to jail. And
1: if, if for $150, I'll be more than glad to learn some things about myself I didn't know.
0: Exactly. And, I, and, and there was one conversation I had with this guy, and he goes, man, it's your job to make sure I don't go to jail. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 my friend. My job is to make sure that you get the best shake at the legal system afforded to you under the law. You can keep you out of jail. The idea that you're going to go to jail for 30 years and that somehow is you sticking it to me, I, I don't know quite how you thought that's going to work out because I'm like evil Knievel, baby. I get paid for the attempt, okay?
1: And so, I go home.
0: That's right. Regardless that, of what happens. That being said, call Robertson Law Office. 832 Now We're right <laughs> by your side and we'll fight for you now. um. I'm telling you, man, there's just something about, uh, when I see these people who can't wait to tell me that they're male feminists, I just, I, 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 I put my arm around my wife and I go, don't, don't be alone with that guy because there's something, I don't know (laughs) to to a man. It always ends up being a creep, but Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, and I, I've noticed another thing with these, with these modernists. Um, they think it's okay to lie because they know what's better for everybody. And, I, I don't I just don't engage with uh, with somebody like that because you you spend hours on hours trying to convincing them that they're lying, and they already know that. Um, I do think that they are losing control because they for fifty years it's been their church, not Jesus's church, their church. Well, it has been Jesus's church the whole time. But the way they see it is that it's their church.
1: yeah,
0: uh, and and they'll do whatever they want. You'll just sit down and you'll just be told how things are going to be. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say, because this was posed to me, what if they outlaw the traditional Latin Mass entirely? They blow up the FSSP and all the Ecclesia day communities and force us to go to the Nova Sordo. And I said, I'll go to the Nova Sordo. And they went, you would? And I said, oh, absolutely. They don't want me to go to the Nova Sordo. because— like my wife told me when we first got married, if you expect me to live in this house with you, some things are going to have to change around here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and every time I see a deviation from the holy and blessed missile of Pope His Holiness Pope Saint Paul the Sixth, the Great of our age, every time I see the slightest deviation, the priest is going to get a letter, the bishop is going to get a letter, and I'm going to CC. The papal nuncio to the United States and the Congregation for Divine Worship, and I will set, and I will make up templates and I will put them online for free so that other people can access these templates so they can send their own letters. I'll make so much damn trouble for these people they won't know what the heck got it. And and when the and when your local parish priest is so terrified to go to his office because he's going to be overflown with letters about why he's deviating in the liturgy, and he says why won't these people just leave me alone? I'm going to say, Father, Your Excellency, Your Eminence, Your Holiness, we were leaving you alone. But you wanted to journey together, remember?
1: See you tomorrow. Well, and more importantly, you claimed that you wanted adherence to Vatican II.
0: That's right. That's the most important thing. And And unity.
1: And here I am And you know I've, thought, I've, I've literally thought the same thing you said You know I, I Because Because that We've talked Discussed on here before I put you How it puts us in a tough position Right I would If I had to If I didn't have a choice And Even if I lived in another area That didn't have the traditional lap mass And I had to go I would go there in good conscience Right But I would definitely stand up for the abuses, if there was any, that I, that I saw. But then I start to think, dude, that's a, that's a, I mean, that, I don't know how you deal with it, but to me, I just get, when I do stuff like that, I get so invested in it that, you know, it's, it creates a stress level that I don't, that's not healthy, that I don't need to have, even, even when it's, the right thing to do, you know. Not saying that it would deter me from that, but it's like, why do I have to do this or or be put in this position because a, a group of old guys just hated uh, uh, the traditional Latin mass?
0: Yeah, and I feel like that too. Unfortunately, um, you know, sixty million sixty million young men died in World War One. Nobody asked them. If World War One was a thing that should happen, yeah, it's sometimes you're thrown into those trenches and you got to do it. But here,
1: that's a very good, no, that's a very good point. Now I'm kind of now I'm gonna. Oh no, I
0: didn't mean to say it to make you feel bad. No, I, no, I, no, I, no,
1: no. I I know you didn't, but the reality is you did because I hadn't thought about that aspect. I, I, maybe I shouldn't complain about it. I mean, well, I, mean you, I you brought up a very how good how point. It.
0: The people who the, and I know that they're loving this. They're going to love it for about five minutes until there ain't no place for us to go other than their parishes. Because right now, if anybody even suggests introducing some Gregorian chants, you can just have that priest shipped off to Freak Island where uh, no one will ever know his name anymore. But once you got all the old parishioners of Regina Chaley sitting in the pew with you, that's going to be a little bit more difficult now. And there will be some Gregorian chants and some incense introduced into this liturgy. And we will join the parish councils. And we will join all of the parish committees and all of the things that you people think you— See, the thing that they think is that we're just going to— Well, they're lower—they're lower, they're second-class citizens in this church because of who the Pope is. And so, therefore, they'll just sit in those pews quietly, and they'll just be told how things are going to be well it seems like that now because we don't go to church with you
1: well just rest assured (laughs) and for myself personally i can be a very petty person if you put me in that position and just
0: rest assured they you know why samora pontificum didn't come out of the goodness of their hearts it came out of the fact that they just got tired of dealing with us all the time. And now we got our little church that we go to where we pray in Latin and have incense and all of a And they have their parishes where they have nine year old girls twerking on the altar and nuns playing the guitar. Dude, don't and do that and oh. and let me tell you something. Oh. The day we come back, like my like my wife said, if you if I gotta live in this house with you, some things are going to change around here. And your exclusive monopoly over the parish council and the, the liturgy committee and all that stuff, th- those days are over.
1: Well, and, and and the reason I said earlier about me, I can be petty when it comes to these types of types of things. Like you're talking about big, bigger issues in the church. For me, I'm going to be looking up there. Oh, you've got a mass dedicated to a certain group of people. It's actually not allowed. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to be bringing up all these little things about oh you've got a police officers uh, mask a blue mask well uh, if I remember right sackro sanctum concilium did not allow for it That's actually right. strictly forbade don't think that I'm just going to come up for for the big things I you're going to be getting a letter about all the things in violation because you have forced me to your church, or maybe maybe not this priest in particular but as a whole the bishops cardinals and pope have forced me into this church and guess what, I or, or they forced me into this church because they said we weren't adhering to Vatican II. We were not faithful sons and daughters of Vatican II and what it proclaimed. Well, guess what? That's where you're wrong, because neither <laughs> are you. Right. And I have I, I have documentation. I have the proof to say you're wrong and I'm right.
0: And I and uh, yeah, no, I I, I see. That they don't, I, I just don't think they want this quite as much as they think they do. I think they think they want this because, um, you know, like all the other institutions, they run the show, and if we don't say or think the right things, then we just don't get to participate in the institution. It's like, you know, if you, uh, if you hold conservative views, you don't get to participate in the media anymore. If you um, are not... Uh, you know, if you don't have uh, all kinds of weird psychological disorders and identify as an ethnofeminist, you can't be in the military anymore. If you don't, you know, we'll just exclude you from all these different institutions and then then you'll know, you'll just sit, sit out there and you'll just be told how things are going to be by those of us who are in charge.
1: Well, And well,
0: um, that's not a sustainable business model, guys. <laughs> I, I'm i sorry. It just well, is
1: and here's the pessimistic side of all that. We acknowledge that we're a small one, maybe 2% population within the Latin Rite, the Roman the Roman Rite of the church, right? The pessimistic side says, okay, well, we do all this, but how much are they really going to listen? Will they just brush us off? Because we're such a small minority compared to the remainder. Basically, we're we're going to have to have people... And I think it comes through education. I think it comes through discussions and stuff like that. Because I don't a, a lot of the faithful sons and daughters that that attend the Novus Ordo Mass don't even realize the the abuses. And and like I said, I was reading that book by Father Britton, and you know he said like when when he goes to some parishes and stuff. And I heard that the parochial vicars actually doing this up in the woodlands at uh, what is it Saint Anthony's mm-hmm. that. You can't just come into one of these, you know, these churches and say, "Okay, we're gonna make all these changes. Everything's ad orientum, grand chance. We're getting rid of this. We're getting rid of that." You know, because to stay faithful to what I, what actually Sacrosanctum Concilium called for, right? He said that it was a, it's a slow process. You come in. He 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 does classes and educations and programs to to educate the people, right? And then yeah. and then through time, a lot of the people are like. Oh, I never understood why. That's so beautiful. Why don't we face East? Or, hey, uh, I didn't realize it called for this. You know, I mean, I'm I'm following what my priest. And he said, once people, a lot of people in his experience, once they started learning the reasoning behind why the church has traditionally done certain things, they were on board. He didn't have to convince them or force them. They are like, hey, well, why don't we do this? And then his church that he was a part of started making these changes to add, you know, add orient them to art Rails to you know removing communion in the hand at their parish but, it, but 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 it wasn't a quick process
0: i think that's fundamentally what is i think that's fundamentally why we're going to win in the end because there's a difference in the way that we approach liturgical reform and a way that they approach liturgical reform the way that we approach liturgical reform is by hey let's make a really cool and beautiful movie about the latin mass and it will it will highlight the things that we think are important and educate people on the differences and and make the make the movie available free for them to watch on the internet it's two guys saying hey you know i know neither one of us are really theologians but let's start a podcast together and let's just talk about these things that's how we approach liturgical reform. The way, the, the way that they approach liturgical reform is, you'll do it, and you'll do it or else. Now, as I w- take a guess as to which one do you think in a free and open society most people respond to. Most people respond to the people who treat them like people and allow them to make up your own mind with the information that you are able to discern uh, most people do not respond very well to you'll you'll sit down and you'll be told how things are going to be. That's just I'm sorry, I, I don't know what world these these bishops and the Pope live in. This is not Spain in the 1500s. <laughs> you, you guys have detoothed the the Catholic Church to such a degree that it's essentially a non factor in the modern world. And now you want to go around and tell people what to do. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, guys, it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Um, I I was drawing an interesting analogy to the Supreme Court um, with my wife the other day. Because the Supreme Court, to me, reminds me a lot of the Catholic Church in one sense. All
1: right, I'm
0: interested. It's it's, it's not people... uh, we don't really elect Supreme Court justices. They are nominated by our elected officials, but they have a lifetime tenure. And that is specifically so that they are not answerable to an electorate. So, And and that's because their job is to interpret the Constitution, not do what's popular. Because the law also has to protect the minority from the majority. right? So, for example, at a time in which... Everyone in America believed that African-Americans were inferior. And the court needs to have the freedom to say, no, you can't treat them as sub as, as, as second class citizens and you can't segregate them and you can't you can't do these things. Yeah, it may anger the the the, you know, white Mississippians in the 50s. But that doesn't matter. That's what the law says, right? That, that's the purpose of a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. And there is a sense in the Supreme Court in which even if we disagree on some of the precedents that have been set, you don't overturn those precedents in, uh, too soon after they were set because people will start to see the Supreme Court as a political body whose politics they are not invited to participate in, and people in the modern world will not suffer a body like that for very long. That's why, and I know a lot of people get frustrated because there's a lot of conservative justices on the court that don't overturn Roe v. Wade. I agree with you. Roe v. Wade is terrible constitutional law. And by the way, we're not alone in thinking that. Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not believe that Roe v. Wade was good constitutional law. But there is a sense in which if we overturn Roe v. Wade entirely, we could risk making the court look like a political body whose, whose politics are going to shift depending not on what the Constitution says, but who happens to be sitting in the court. Now, why do I can compare that to the Catholic Church? The Catholic Church prides itself on its on its rightful continuity to the apostles. We have a continuity that goes all the way back to Jesus of Nazareth himself. And now we don't even have continuity with the last Pope, who's still alive by the way. The the it's it, the, the papacy is now seen as well, whether I'm a good Catholic or not will largely depend on one man in the Catholic Church. Whose, politi- whose, whose election I was not allowed to participate in or invited to participate in. And how long do you think people are really going to subject themselves to that? It's not going to be long before people just say, yeah, well, eh, the Pope doesn't think I'm a Catholic anymore. So, you know, what does he know, you know? And, and now, whether or not anybody follows or listens to the Pope depends on if the Pope was elected from their little tribe in the church or not. I know, I know that James Martin thinks that this is the church he wants to live in. Um, believe me, it isn't. Because for the last 40 years, the papacy has been dominated by guys on our side, not his. And it could very easily go back to that tomorrow. And now the, the Society of Jesus could be sitting there wondering if their apostolic visitation is coming and if their motu proprio's on the on the writing block. This is not a healthy environment for an organ for for an institution like the church to be in. I don't think, but that's well, that's just I, my take.
1: I, I wanna I, I wanna say this real quick, <clears throat> and then I'll get to my question to you. There, I listened to a podcast the other day that you would really enjoy. I was gonna send it to you, and it slipped my mind. It was between uh, it was a talk a discussion between Trent Horn and I think his name is Stephen Millies or something like that. Anyway, he's a professor of uh, like political science and stuff like that who's a catholic who actually is not in favor you know he tries to make the claim that there's a catholic support for not overturning Roe v Wade even though he he calls himself pro life pro choice which uh, whatever but anyway he <laughs> okay. he, he kind of makes the claim that by turning you know or one of his many claims which i think at the end of the day he's just looking at his writings and his posts. I mean he's a he's a pretty pretty obvious he's a Democrat. So when I see stuff like this, I kinda of think, Oh, they're just trying to justify their the way they vote and stuff like that, right? But he says, Well, you can't overturn Roe v. Wade because some people look at the Supreme Court, you know, when whenever they held out for a year or whatever long it was for, for uh what was his name? Um uh, he's our Department of Justice right now. Uh, oh, Merrick Garland.
0: Garson. Oh, Merrick Garland, sorry. Merrick yeah, Garland, we- Garland. Okay,
1: so we held out to the next election. Obama didn't get his election. You know, people might view that as illegitimate legitimate if they overturned Roe v. Wade. You can't just overturn it because you could have people upright. And I'm, like, and I'm sitting here thinking, of course, we're already in this boat. I mean, no matter what they do, it's going to, and even if people get upset and there is revolution, that doesn't, that shouldn't deter you from necessarily doing the right thing and protecting you. No, you're you. absolutely
0: right. I, but, I may have used a bad example. Um, no,
1: no, no, no. Uh, uh, I'm just saying, I, I'm going to send it to you because I really think you would enjoy this because it, because it's it's your two things, theology and law, right? And I think you really may enjoy the discussion.
0: Here's a better example. Um, There was a a case that came out not long after uh, Heller versus District of Columbia. This is the Supreme Court case that defined that the Second Amendment is an individual right, that an individual does possess a constitutional right to own a firearm in their own home. Um, Now, after that, there was a case that came up about stun guns. um, And... Sonia Sotomayor wrote the per curiam opinion for this case, and I can't remember the case, and I apologize about that right now, um, in which she stated that the prohibition against stun guns violates the Second Amendment under our reasoning in D.C. versus, uh, in Heller versus District of Columbia. Now, per curiam opinion means this is something all nine justices were on board with. There were no dissents, okay? I know for a fact that Sonia Sotomayor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, 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 Stephen Breyer h- hated the opinion in Heller versus District of Columbia, but that that opinion having been uh, adopted by the court, they're now under uh, they're not under an obligation, but there's there's something about the integrity of the court as an institution that people need to know that we don't have two Supreme Courts. Right, just because there's ideological division in the court. Similarly, I think the Catholic Church needs should be like that. Like, like I go back to the family argument uh, analogy that I used earlier. I think it's fine that that <laughs> that James Martin doesn't like us and we don't really like him and we, we duke it out on Twitter and we hate each other and all that. Kind of thing. Sometimes people will do things that will incur severe ecclesiastical penalties like excommunication and things like that. It's not something we should ever want to happen to anybody. It's a a terrible thing when it happens. And like when um, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre incurred the excommunication in 1988, and whether you think that was legitimate or illegitimate or whatever is not my point. My point is even John Paul II was saddened by, by doing that. It was not something he's like, yeah, I'm going to stick it to this guy. No, 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 no. You've been cast out of the mystical body now. You're outside the society. That is not something we should ever want to happen. And, and, and to know that there are millions of our co-religionists out there who are looking forward to our being cast out of the mystical body with just absolute glee is sick. Yeah. There's something sick about that you guys need professional therapy I, I don't well, know I, if, if James Martin were excommunicated today okay I would I, I could see it I, I could understand it I'm sure that he has probably done some things that are excommunicable but I would immediately begin prayers for his reconciliation to the church immediately and I think we all have a have an obligation to do that for our brother and sister Catholics
1: and i i i want to and i agree with you i mean we shouldn't take joy in and in, in any lawsuits cuz god doesn't right? right um god wishes that all men should be saved um but two things that are kind of off topic but i kind of want to bring up to you and then and Go. then i and Go and then there. i promise i'll get back on the the question <laughs> that i was wanting to get to that is on topic um one you, you know i just learned recently i didn't know this but when Archbishop Levev was excommunicated for consecrating those bishops, mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was a recent law that had come into effect that they needed to have the permission. Because, I, you know, what I learned was, or, or what, what I heard and stuff like that was, is that before, you know, because a lot of these people like Archbishop Levev were on missionary trips to Africa, they didn't have time to necessarily wait for a letter to get to Rome to get a sign-off approval and come back, you know they had to, they had limited time to train people, get bishops, appoint bishops, and all that to run so they could continue on their missionary journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mentioned to me that that was actually a new addition to the canon law. I mean, that's not excuses necessarily that he that he did it, but I was like, I, I don't know, I was just kind of like, well, I guess it makes sense why they wouldn't necessarily need permission if they were on missionary journeys to do this but uh but the fact that you know i guess if he had done that a few years before he would have been perfectly fine you know
0: i've i i've heard so many things about, and and i'm i'm definitely not a canon lawyer that's for sure i'm 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 not a theologian but i'm more of a theologian than i am a canon lawyer so um uh, i don't know enough about that to weigh in here other than to say i have heard that what you, what you just said Um, but I've heard so many things that could be true that ended up not, I I, I don't know about it or not. There's also a theory that um, because he was under the state of necessity that the excommunication was not valid. And again, that's for the canon lawyers to work out. (laughs) Um, I I don't really go there. I know this, everything we have about the traditional Latin mass today, we have because of that man. In my opinion, and this is just an opinion, you don't have to subscribe to it, I believe that history will vindicate Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, and I believe he will go down in history as one of the greatest saints of the 20th century, um, who, uh, the saint who saved the Roman right. Uh,
1: let's, just, I, let's just be glad that we don't have to make that decision on who was right indeed. just. Right, you know, indeed. God is obviously going to make the perfect decision you're right or you're absolutely right but, um, you're absolutely right but the but but, but the other thing that i kind of wanted to bring up um to you that was the last thing that was off topic when you you know you're talking about the supreme court case and and you know we talked about roe and stuff like that really interesting point that trent horn brought up that was kind of just dismissed as he's like okay so you're saying that roe v wade even though there's bad parts in it, there's also good parts. Because, so because of those good parts, we ought to keep it in spite of the bad. He goes, well, how do you feel about Plessy versus Ferguson? How do you feel about Brown the Board of Education? Because both of those did in, in some areas and could have caused a lot of backlash unrest and all that. And you could make the argument like you're making for Roe v. Wade. Well, it's keeping the peace. It's keeping the democracy die. but the courts rightly decided these these things are not right. And and, and everything. So anyway, and
0: I really but if if you think about from Plessy from Plessy versus Ferguson to uh, to Brown versus Board of Education, which overturns Plessy versus Ferguson, you're looking let's see 1890 to to 1955. So it's quite a span of years. And what the yeah. court sort of began doing in the 1930s and 40s is building a docket of precedents that would bring us to the place where we could overturn Plessy versus Ferguson because everybody knew that that was bad law. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, do, I do think that Roe v. Wade eventually will be overturned um, because it is just, it's a terrible law. And it's a ter- and it's a it's a really stretch stretched interpretation of the U.S. Constitution and the Fourteenth Amendment in particular. Um, to believe that anybody in 1865 wrote the Fourteenth Amendment with the intention of allowing unrestricted abortion across all 50 states, uh, I, come on, that like yeah. that's not even a, that's not even a good lie. Um, I, but I, I I think that there is a sense that. Uh, amongst the court that we need to have good legal reasoning while we're doing it and we need to really get the right case. Because if we just come in and say, you know, we're we're overturning Roe v. Wade, then in maybe 15, 20 years, there could be new bodies on the court who may overturn Heller versus District of Columbia and whether or not you have any rights from one day to the next will not depend on necessarily what the constitution says which is the body of laws that we adopted in the democratic process it will largely depend on who happens to sit in this unelected body that nobody voted for and whether or not they think you ought to have any rights and the problem with that is people will not suffer an institution like that for very long because they're not because they don't they're not going to be ruled by autocratic Uh, judges who have never faced an electorate. Now, we tolerate it from the Supreme Court much in the way we tolerate it from the Catholic Church because our understanding of the Catholic Church is this isn't a political institution. This is an institution that is here to communicate a divine truth that was given to it by Jesus Christ himself. So we really shouldn't have a lot of democracy and and stuff in there if we want to get that truth, right? So, So we understand that, we know that. The minute, though, people start to get the sense that the Catholic Church really doesn't give a damn about telling the truth about anything. They're just in it to use us as political pawns in a little game that only they get to play. People are just going to say, yeah, I don't think the Catholic Church is for me. And like I said in a previous podcast, these modernists will not be happy until the entire Catholic Church is five bishops sitting in an empty room writing encyclicals to each other all day long. (laughs) <laughs> and I just I I I think more people than you realize see that know that and understand that something needs to be done. So. And so I, I I have every faith that because don't forget the same college that elected Francis is essentially the same college that elected Benedict the sixteenth. They I don't think they knew what they were getting into, and I think there is a a consensus that we need a much more vetted. Uh, I think the next pope will be an Italian, and I think he will be from the Curia, and I think it will probably be uh, a pretty, I don't want to say like a radical conservative. I kind of hate those words because they're political terms. They don't really illustrate what I'm talking about, but I think you know the sense in which I mean it. Um, I, I think it will be a man very different than Pope Francis, and I don't I just and I also think you will not see an immediate walk back of tradiciones custodes I think the way they'll deal with it is just sort of leave it alone and it'll just sort of go away they will I do not don't put your hope in a, a new pope coming out and saying I declare tradiciones custodes condemned and Francis uh, his whole memory will be excommunicated and we will burn him in effigy and the, they're, they're not going to do that yeah
1: they're just yeah, gonna no, sort I, of I wouldn't hold my just, breath.
0: It's just going to go away. Okay. So um, that's so, what I think.
1: So, my question or, or what I want to discuss I know we're coming up, uh, we're getting pretty close to what we normally do time wise. And I really wanted to talk about this for a minute. I, I brought it up earlier about so traditionally, on his custodius comes out, you see the CDW's guidelines and stuff like that. And they're all talking about Vatican II and uniformity and stuff like that, right? Right. And, and even within the Latin rite what are there 23 rites or so something like that off the top of my head. And even within the Latin rite, the Roman rite, isn't there like one or two others? You have the uh, you have the Ambrosian and
0: right the Dominican rite, the Dominican it, oh, rite, yeah. the Ambrosian rite. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, you the, have the a, Anglican the, the the Anglican use is considered uh, one of the Latin rites. Uh, yeah, and, not, and,
1: and and that's all within the Latin Latin Rite of the Church. So if you're sitting in in those especially, I would be thinking, what's next? But then you also have the Byzantine Rites, the East and West Syriac Rites, uh, and a few others. And, you know, if, if you're sitting in here, do you feel comfortable with the current path uh, of the way things you're going, or do you sit back and say, well, I'm kind of far away from all this and we're, we'll get a new Pope before they ever get to us. I mean, what, what is your kind of, you know, line of thinking if you're sitting in one of these, these other rites?
0: That's a very good point because it goes back to what I was talking about with, uh, with, with any religious community in the church. I mean, the Pope and and by the way, the word word round the campfire is there's more of this crap coming down the pipe. Um, on uh, March the March the second, which is Ash Wednesday, uh, they're going to slam us again. They're going to hit us with a new thing. Um, I, I don't know what's going to be in that, and I don't even want to speculate. But I I think you're right. I think there are a bunch of people in the church, especially in other rites and in religious communities in the Roman Rite, who are saying, well could this happen to us and why why wouldn't it i mean there's it's never been the understanding that the pope is always going to like you and the pope is always going to be a person from your little camp in the church and one of your one of your type of people but the understanding has always been that we're protected by by the institution of the church we have canon law right and canon law is there to Protect the status of people in the church. It says so in the code of canon law itself that you have that you have rights within the church. That you just you cannot just be abused by the hierarchy of the church because of the you know sort of monarchical hierarchical nature of the Catholic Church. Um, but now we're in a situation which, if the Pope feels like just ignoring the canon law, or if you're if if you are a, a good boy and you don't do it, you won't give him any reason to. Uh, Come down hard on you? Well, we'll just make it up that you did something. We'll just mm. invent it out of thin air. Uh, that's got to make people incredibly nervous. It makes me nervous for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, we've all paid attention to the news in the last couple of decades, and lying as a matter of policy hasn't worked out great for us so far, and I don't know why we're continuing to do that. But number two, if if what you do if who you are and how you practice the religion is not the thing that will decide whether or not you're a member in good standing in good standing of the church well then why be a member of it at all in other words if it if it if it is just an arbitrary process of a bunch of people you've never met who've never met you and who you're not in any control whether they're in power or not, will decide amongst themselves whether people like you are welcome in the church or not, yeah, um you well, know, how long are people going to continue to do that well and know. you and you know the thing
1: is 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 if we're honest with ourselves, historically, the Western church you know the Latin Rite church hasn't really overall faced major Persecution, you know what I'm saying? Like outside, you know, you know, like in the beginnings and stuff like that. And, and, and I'm talking about specifically from even within itself, you know, is what I'm mainly talking about. Uh-huh. But comparatively speaking, even outside of the church itself, like a lot of the Eastern churches have, like the you know the Maronites who were surrounded by Islam and stuff like that. So sure, you, you, you know, I, I sit here and I think. Comparatively speaking between the two, yeah, these the, some of these Eastern churches are are used to the hatred and persecution for who they are. But it's like, why do they need to suffer this internally? And I pray to God that it never gets to them because they've already, as a group and as a right, they've already suffered enough through the past 2,000 years. But it's like, man, I, I I start to think, if I'm in these churches, they're probably thinking, some, or at least some of them, they, they have to be thinking, okay, we're ready for battle, you know, for to, to, to defend ourselves and what we do in our right, but at the same time as I do, give, you know, I, I hope we never touch these people or, or or the Roman pontiff and them never really do these people like they're doing the traditional latin mass.
0: I If that made think, sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I I think I get the sense that they would like to. I get the sense that they would like to go after these folks. But um, they're really playing with fire on that one because these Eastern rites, most of them were separated and then came back into the church through a long series of talks and and councils and negotiations. And um it, it, with, with some of these rites, they're in a very precarious situation. The Ukrainian rite of the Catholic Church is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Um, the the Ukrainian right uh, is in better relations, the, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church gets along better with the Ukrainian Catholic Church than the Ukrainian Orthodox Church does with the Russian Orthodox Church right now. So uh, th- to go in there, and the thing about these modernists is they're like bull in a China shop. They don't know what the heck they're doing. They go in there and they just start, recovating, and they blow up the world and then can't quite figure out how the heck it got to be that way. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, if going after, because they have protections um, in canon law that are fundamental. They are foundational, set in stone. You cannot mess with their rights. And if you try to do that, you will spark a war that you will not Look, learn from your mistake and try to his You're already, uh, holy, holy father. You're already into water, swimming in waters. It was too deep for you to wade into. Learn your mistake. Go, be a happy old man. Go clip your coupons. Basically, you know, so what do you think? Eighty-four years old. Just, just wait it out at this point. I don't know what do you think
1: happens? Let's just say worst case scenario that after traditional custodians and all that, and they're happy with what they've done here, they start going after some of these churches, in particular, that have come back in communion with Rome. What do you what do you think the path for for them most likely
0: is? Uh, I believe that the path would be a massive, massive exodus to the Orthodox churches. So we and would have and not and, and not just from them. Uh, there's, I, I don't know if you've checked in on Catholic media lately, but it seems like from Trent Horn to uh, Pints with Aquinas to, uh, to, uh, oh, what's the guy? I, I don't, I, I are, uh, there's an, uh, are, you,
1: are you talking about how they go to the Byzantine?
0: No, I'm talking about how they're all having episodes now about why, why not become Orthodox?
1: Oh, well, okay. Well, maybe it's the same guy, the guy that does reason and theology. Michael Lofton, I know he's he's done a lot on he's Eastern had church. one
0: I know I know he's Parts had with a lot. Aquinas yeah. I know that uh, Trent horn's done a couple episodes this is a topic that people are talking about and it, so it's so it's on
1: people's radar is what you're saying
0: it's on people's radar and I think the reason is is because these these Yahoos who are running the church right now and I hate to say I shouldn't talk about that let me okay. That Boy, was uncharitable. That was uncharitable. No, I'm in, well, I'll keep it in. I mean, because I'm not perfect, and I know that. I shouldn't have referred to that. the The people who are running the church right now are turning the church into a caricature of every criticism the Orthodox have ever had about us, because the Orthodox and the Protestants. Uh, have uh, the Protestants have some theological issues, but essentially in terms of authority, the both the Orthodox and the Protestants have the same issue with us. You guys are a bunch of Pope worshipers. You guys aren't followers of Christ. You're followers of Jorge Bergoglio. Yeah. And, and our, our, our defense of that has always been, no, 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 no. Because Jorge Bergoglio is just a bishop and he is the primate of the whole Catholic Church. So in other words, he is the head of the bishops. He is the chief bishop of the bishops. But... Uh, he does not he he does not rule the Catholic Church like an autocrat telling us what to think what to say and what time we can go to the bathroom. What's
1: that called ultramontist or something ultratra
0: monetnetism like yeah yeah uh, that's always been our defense that 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 criticism is not valid well um, it's valid now <laughs> we, we've now got we, we've now gone from. Okay. In ten years, in ten years we went from there are two expressions of the same rite, one extraordinary, the other ordinary, to there aren't two expressions. There's only one lexorandi of the Catholic Church, and it was invented fifty years ago. And I don't have to explain how those two things are are coherent or 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 in any way fit together. We have a different Pope, so now we have a different theology. That's a problem because if if we're really going to switch theologies every time there's a new pope, then essentially what you have is a new church every time you have a new pope. And so we are just a bunch of pope worshipers now. Mm-hmm. And so you do have a lot of people saying, well, maybe the Orthodox were right all along. Yeah. Uh, that's a problem. <laughs> this is a problem and I'm guaranteeing you, there are a lot of bishops and a lot of cardinals out there who do not think that this is such a great thing.
1: No, no, I agree. And, and the thing is, is that, uh, you know, the Orthodox are so close to us in so many ways that, that for people that are, that are struggling with this, well, we're not supposed to be Pope worshipers. It's an easy jump, but there's also, you know, differences that, that are important between Catholics and Orthodox that, you know like like you know i I know not all of them do it but just some of them you know some orthodox here in the past especially in the past what couple hundred years have re-baptized people you know which yeah yeah i mean i know know that i know not all of them but some of them some of them will interesting and you know i mean (laughs) that's kind of you know as as somebody said one time that's kind of sacrilege you know i mean they already have that indelible mark but uh, anyway, I don't want to get into all the orthodox because, to be honest with you, I, I've actually kind of got into these, not discussions, but research and listening to these different podcasts and read some different books to so the point that I've kind of nerded out some stuff way over my head. I've started reading about Gregory Pomalus and Palamism and, and how it compares to Thomism versus Scotus and oh, all man. that. You're,
0: you're deeper into it than me, I can and, tell you that. <laughs> you know, divine
1: energy or divine simplicity, energies versus, you know, God's energies versus essence. And I'll be honest with you. I'm way over my head. But it all started because I was kind of comparing and trying to learn more about the Orthodox. Not because I necessarily had this on my radar till we actually started talking about it today. You know, talking about the, the defection. If something mm-hmm. like this were to happen, the possible defection. It's just, like you said, I've seen so much about it out there that I'm like, it just kind of sparked my interest and it's kind of taking me down a path that is way over my head but still interesting I, I,
0: i'll tell you i i don't think well uh, first of all my 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 position on this is is that um fleeing to the orthodox church fundamentally doesn't solve the problem um you remove yourself from the mystical body of christ because and and if there are any orthodox listeners to this podcast and i know there probably aren't but I don't want you to take this personally. I, I I love the Orthodox churches, and I'm glad you guys are around. I wish you guys were in full communion, and God willing, that will be the case. But there is only one true church, and I do not believe that the the Orthodox are it. I believe that the Catholic Church is the one true church, and so uh,
1: how unecumenical of you! I know who right? I who know. cares that they literally believe the same thing, <laughs> except the other side. <laughs>
0: Um I, I will say this. Um, you know, we talked earlier about romanticism and being in love with the Catholic Church. Um, I, I, I would like the Jorge Bergoglio, the Pope Franciss and the, and the Cardinal Roaches and the James Martins of the Worlds to hear me and hear me well. I love the Catholic Church, and the day I will just give her over to you is the day I have a tag on my toe. It's never going to happen. I ain't going anywhere. and you can have the Catholic Church over my dead body. Hear it, write it down the, write down the time and day I said it. I ain't hear, going anywhere. Hear it and weep. That's right. Gonna, you, the, the idea that you're just gonna shove me out. Uh, you can shove me out of the media. You can shove me out of the all the other institutions of society because those are all man-made institutions, and I don't care about them anyway. But you cannot shove me out of this one because I'm not. I, I, I answer to bigger people than you. You see, I'm a baptized Catholic. I'm property of 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 the one who doesn't answer to anybody in the universe. Okay, I'm his property. I belong to him, and uh, you don't get to just push me out like that. that That's not how this works. See, we're both answerable to him and him alone. You may not think you're answerable to him, but um, a day is coming, the last day, and on that day, we will find out just who runs the Catholic Church. And uh, you're going to be in for a rude awakening, James Martin, because it ain't you. That much I can guarantee you.
1: All this... All this nerding out I was telling you about, I, I kind of want to say something. You may know this, but how much you know about the Maronite Catholic Church? You know much about the the group of people?
0: So I've been to a Maronite uh, lit. I I think they call it lit, divine liturgy, or do they call it mass? I don't know. I don't but know. I'm, they probably.
1: I'm, I would assume divine liturgy. I
0: I've, I've, I've been to. It looks a lot like the Roman Mass. There theirs it? does. The Melkites have. A very, very Byzantine, very Arab, very Middle Eastern liturgy. But the Maronites, I found, they had like three-dimensional statues, um, and they had a crucifix in the middle. It looked very much like a Novus Ordo Catholic Church to me, but that, so that, that's all I know about them.
1: I don't know much about them, but, but I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's – he. may He's extremely, extremely intelligent. Like, I mean, this dude's like when he reads or learns something, he's like a book. Like, I think I may, I'll bring up a discussion with him, thinking, "Hey, I'm gonna we gonna talk about something." Here he already knows about it. Does it? Does it matter? I mean, the guy is, and he's oh, a convert I hate people too. People like that, <laughs> dude. You would love talking to him. His name, his name is Heath, and he's extremely. And I, and I have learned so much from this from this man that that, that he's become a, what I consider a good friend, and thank God for because he was also. You know, very supportive, and Mike. We kind of came from the same, same uh, religious background. You know, out of the Restoration Movement, he was. We were out of two different groups, but came out of the same, same ultimate movement, right? Anyway, he Catholic he, or no, he's Catholic now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And this we is a man. Him, we should have him on the pod. Oh, it, it would be awesome. The dude is extremely intelligent, and and let me tell you, this guy is that his conversion required more dedication than a lot of people. Do you because not only you know did he did he you know his family wasn't catholic and stuff like that the guy was a minister was a missionary in africa and stuff like that from the wow. group he came the the man gave up his livelihood to be in communion with with the catholic church and i, I mean for me i mean that I, I mean I respect that so much and
0: st- stone cold soldier right there.
1: And and, and, and let's just put, it. let's just put it like this. I'm glad the Catholic church has him on their side. But um, anyway, he was, what I was getting at is uh, the, the, he was telling me an interesting story about the Maronite church. He was saying that they were actually never in schism, but that Rome, they were so isolated from Rome, you know, during the Ottoman empire by Islam and stuff that a lot of people didn't even really know. That's they were right. they were yeah, never in schism. That. They just they were just surrounded by the. I guess it was the Ottoman Turks, probably. Right. Um, you know all the Muslims that, that, that
0: I did know that <laughs> I did I did know that the Maronites were never in schism, and I think there's a few other Eastern rites that are like that too. But I now,
1: good I, luck if they survived that for for a thousand years, and you wanted to try to put traditional East on these people. Good luck.
0: Oh yeah, they're not gonna tolerate that. <laughs> Good luck. These people, these people are Lebanese and um, you know, the Lebanese people are uh I'm gonna tell you what, they're they're passionate people. I <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen um two uh Arabs having a cut two Arab men having a conversation. It looks like they're about to get into a physical altercation with each other. They're just talking. <laughs> oh, 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 you forget that I've spent a lot of time in the Middle that's East. That's right. You have. You have spent a lot of time in the Middle East. And and, and I and
1: I'll tell you when a, a friend of mine that that comes is uh his name is uh I would well one of his names is Mohammed, of course everybody's name Mohammed. But anyway, we we call him the Bill. His name is Mohammed Bill. Really good friend of mine and stuff. He's from Egypt, but he lives in Saudi with his family because that's where he works. Okay. When me and him get together, sometimes like when he was over here sometimes people think probably think that we're arguing and mad because I get loud he's loud and you know we we'll, we we'll, we'll, the way we look at each other but yeah. I, but 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 I love the dude like family you know and um <clears throat> interesting story is I was talking to I was you know Alex and stuff I was talking to him and a sure. couple other people the other day and when I'm in Saudi of course I have to be I'm not saying that I've never discussed religion, which I which I have, but I have to be careful in what I say, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you do. I wouldn't. Let me tell you something. If I was in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, I would avoid that topic like the plague, man.
1: Well, well, I'm I, I, <laughs> I'm very careful in what I say and how I project my feelings, especially on Islam and stuff like that, right? Sure. I, I, I very calculated in it. So anyway, when he was visiting here, I was like, okay. I have more freedom in order to have these discussions. I could say pr- pretty much whatever I want if if I really right. wanted to, right? Right. And uh, so anyway, I, I was sitting here thinking, how can I bring this up? And I, and Alex goes, uh, who was it? St. Saint John, Saint John Henry Newman or somebody said the Blessed Mother. And I said, you know what? We did actually talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary because... You know, he, he, when we would, we would pass a church or something, and he'd see me cross myself or whatever, and then we'd pass another one, and he wouldn't see it. He'd go, oh, why don't you cross yourself for that? There's a church, why don't you cross yourself? So, you know, I kind of explained the different groups. And, of course, he wasn't familiar with all the Protestants and Catholics and Orthodox and sure. stuff like that. We got talking about the Blessed Mother. And, you know, because I think he may have even brought it up about, you know, how they, you know, they re, revere Mary or whatever the word is that he used. And uh, I said, well, you know, you were asking me the difference. I, I said, us Catholics believe that Mary was sinless and that she was a perpetual virgin and, you know, all, all, all these things about her. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I believe that, too. I said, well, the, I said, the Protestants, most the majority of them don't believe that. You know what his response was? He goes, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, how do they believe she was not a virgin her whole life? He goes, dude, I can't... Like, he couldn't fathom it. And I was like, I got you, bro. <laughs> oh,
0: I, 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 the, the Muslims... Uh, no offense very, to our Protestant brethren that may listen. No offense to our Protestant brethren. We're just calling it like it is. I mean, we're not telling an untruth <laughs> here. It's, it's, uh, but the the Muslims believe a, they hold Mary. They give Mary every title we give her except Mother of God. Yep. Now, that's pretty significant. And I, having a, a discussion with uh, a Muslim I went to college with, um, uh, a young man named Mustafa. He was from Senegal. And uh, we took uh, Intro to Christian Thought together, um, and I, he, I, I discussed this with him. And he said, well, you know, Mary and Jesus, by the way, were not, they were very famous people in their day. It's not like no one had ever heard of these people until the Catholic Church just sort of invented some stories about them. People in the ancient Near East knew who these people were. Um, to me, it's always been one of the principal arguments for the resurrection of Christ is that, uh, you know, Jerusalem is a very old city. People have been living in Jerusalem for a long time. If Jesus's bones were somewhere, people would know where they were because he he is the victim of arguably the most famous execution in the history of the world, okay? And when uh, St. Helen and Constantine Went to Jerusalem to find the True Cross. They didn't have to look long. Everybody pointed to the hill. Oh yeah, right there. They everybody knew where it had happened. Uh, but no one can point to Jesus's bones, which I think is very is very interesting to me. But anyway, I get back to Mary in Islam. Um, I, I, I yeah, Our Lady is a wonderful gateway to broach the subject of religion with with Muslims because uh she was such a, a this woman of incredible virtue and and purity in the ancient near east people knew who she was you know um and yeah i i think that is very interesting and i i have enjoyed the conversations about religion that i've had with muslims um for the most yeah. part i i don't know that i would go passing out bibles in saudi arabia cuz uh, i'm not that brave yet but Uh, hopefully. (laughs) No.
1: Okay. So, so I've got a, I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. So we're talking about bringing Bibles and stuff. Now I will say that even, even through my past few years of traveling to Saudi Arabia, at least on the Eastern half of the country, it isn't really as strict like like you could kind of see some of the stuff getting looser and looser. Not, Mm -hmm. not like we would think looser and looser, but some of the restrictions. Anyway, one day I was, I had flown from here to D.C. or New York or somewhere. i had switched planes somewhere in the U.S. Well, I'm getting—I'm on the plane, or, or or in the airport. I mean, I'm kind of sitting there with my boss, and I'm going through the bag, my backpack, and I realize I didn't take out my my big old rugged rosary, the big old paracord rosary with the big oh, crucifix on it. And I'm like, oh, okay. I know you can't bring Bibles and stuff. Like, uh, actually, actually, you can't. That that's not right you can bring a bible in the country but it, it can only be one and it has to be your personal use you can't like of course you can't evangelize right but 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 you technically are allowed to have one so i remembered that but i was still super nervous and i was like well i can't throw it away i mean that would just be terrible i i can't melt it i mean what a... so i was like you know what i'm allowed to buy it. i just kind of keep it in my backpack you know they never say anything, and ever since then, I've always carried my rosary with me, prayed my rosary in my hotel room, you know, because, you know. But I, I will admit that I'm not going to go out and start handing out rosaries. I'm not going <laughs> to go out and start, you know, handing out you, Bibles. But that first time, Jason, I, I'd forgotten Jason, that you'd, rosary.
0: You'd do it if you loved Christ. Come on, well, man. I do.
1: <laughs> I do, but... Uh, Christ also told us or wants us to be prudent.
0: Yeah, Christ, Christ, Christ doesn't want you to leave a widow and uh, and and fatherless children. So yeah,
1: yeah and, I and, and, and I mean, granted, you know, if it comes down to it, and you have to, you know, we, we should be trying to convert people, even in these countries. People have lost their lives for a long time trying to do that. Right.
0: Mad respect to the martyrs. Yes, Those guys yes, were and, some soldiers.
1: And I am, and I am by no means claiming I am better than them that I deserve to live and they didn't and stuff like that. And uh, but, but like I said, I'm not. I guess I'm not a missionary. It wasn't my goal. And that is something that also, to be honest with you, sometimes I struggle with in my mindset. I'm like, why, why ain't I doing this? Because this is what we're supposed to be doing, whether we whether we're going to face death or not. But you know, I, I guess the human side also comes in and says kind of reasons and you're kind of like, well, you know, this is a different situation.
0: Well, there's, there's, yeah, martyrdom is a difficult subject. And um, I think before we can get to a place where we're ready to spill our blood for Christ, we need to get to a place where we're just, we're, we're okay with someone calling us a racist on Twitter because we stood up for Christ. Let's take baby steps. Let's get to the point as a, as a society where we're not terrified to stand up for Christ because if we do, we'll be talked bad about in the media, Uh, you know, but, but, but then to delude ourselves, like I'm ready to spill my blood for Christ. It's like, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) You're not. Okay. Well, come
1: on. Well, when I said I had the discussions in the country, you know, they, they usually revolved around what I would talk to one of the guys or something and they would tell me oh islam teaches this i'm like oh you know what if it was something that we, i said you know christ taught the same thing christ said the same thing on you know this or that we yes. talked about it and then like one one guy one time brought up oh you know that's sad that the new testament was so corrupted so we had a discussion well why do you think it's corrupted you know why do you you know like that so i'm not i, I do make efforts but i don't get out there and sure. stand on a street no. corner and stuff so Anyway, anyway, like I guess it's a, it's a that, tough subject.
0: It is a tough subject, and it's very different. And I, I think actually the fact that you would broach it at all uh, is pretty brave. And I, I was actually looking uh, here on my computer as we were sitting here talking at an 11th century um, painting. Uh, it's a Persian miniature. Um, so this is obviously an Islamic uh, artistic depiction of the Virgin Mary with her son, Jesus. And it looks a lot like our Eastern icons. I mean, it looks.
1: Is it Islamic one? You
0: said it it is an Islamic because contrary to what a lot of people think, it has not always been a thing in Islam that you can't show the face of the prophets, right? Because in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, today, uh, you, you would not you would want to be careful about having like a crucifix because that would be an artistic representation of a, what they call an Islamic prophet. They think that Jesus was a prophet right. um, but that has not always been the case in the Islamic world, particularly in the in the in the Shia uh, versions of Islam that are practiced in places like Iran. Um, in Iran, for example, you can buy Persian rugs. With the face of Muhammad on them and everything, was, you, know, really? you can't be disrespectful to Muhammad, obviously. But no, yeah, they, they, you can, you can buy pictures of his image. You, know. you
1: ain't gonna use it like a normal rug and have it on the ground,
0: right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this Persian miniature. It looks a lot like uh, a Byzantine icon, which I think is very interesting. Um, and you know we need to we need to pray for the the Muslims and the and the Orthodox the Protestants and the Catholics. We need to pray for all of us uh, to, so that we can all be one. Because um, you know Christ Christ calls us to unity, but true unity, not 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 whatever they're trying to sell us and try to sell us custodians. But um, okay, two hours and ten minutes. It's probably time to wrap this up. People got other things to do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I will I will say this, man. I I, I know we got it was kind of hard for us to get together here recently. Either you had something come up or I I think you had gotten sick and then I'd gotten sick and then I had stuff come up. I mean, I really enjoy doing it. So I, I, you know, I'd really like on my end to try to make better effort to try to get some more out regularly, you know,
0: the holidays, the holidays had a lot to do with it. And then I got a really, I had a really aggressive work schedule both in December and January. So things are, um, Things are settling more. They're still busy, but they're settled a little more. So now I can uh, make my weekends a little bit more about uh, about this kind of stuff. So
1: let's say this: if if we have a listener out there that just absolutely loves everything that we say, does wants more and more episodes, we have normal jobs. But if you want to support us so that we can quit our full time jobs and do this. Yes. We, Go ahead. More than, Yeah,
0: we're going to, we got to get, we got to get the Patreon going. <laughs> Actually, it's probably not a terrible idea. I'd love to, you know, um, one of the things I want to get going is our YouTube channel so we can get some video of this because I'd love to hear you guys' comments on the YouTube because that's, that's one of the things about the YouTube platform that I like is yeah. people can leave comments. Um, but we'll work on that. And I, I, I can't promise that we'll be back in a week, but, <laughs> but, I'll do everything within my power to make it happen. Um, Jason, any parting thoughts?
1: Actually, I do have a parting thought, and I want to read it. It was something I sent you the other day, but I thought it was—it's been on my mind, and I think it's just something great to think about. Let's hit it. So, as God the Father said to St. Catherine of Siena, you are she who is nothing— this, of course, does not mean that Catherine did not exist, but rather that the only thing she could call her own, independent from God, was nothingness. And that, that is how Ooh. we stand before God.
0: That's, that's huge. That's huge. The only thing that is totally ours, independent from God, is nothingness.
1: Man. So everybody okay, get the mass that tomorrow just, that, and praise that, the that creator. Baked, or that baked my noodle,
0: indeed. <laughs> I'm going to go to I'm 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 going to go uh, to Regina Chaley Parish at 5:30 p.m. Uh, there will definitely not be a traditional Latin Mass at 5:30 p.m. with confession 30 minutes before and the Rosary uh, said as a parish. So write down the time and day that that is not going to happen.
1: Yeah, no worship going on there.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Nothing to see here, folks. All right, folks. Well, y'all have a blessed week. If we get to talk to you next week, I'll be looking forward to it. If not, we'll see you the next time we see you. Thank you very much, and God God bless all of you.
1: God bless everyone.